0: Christmas is behind us, New Year's is right around the corner, for the most part 2019 is in the rear view mirror, all that's really left of the past year now is to relax, watch some football, return some gifts, and continue to eat. I read last week that the average American gained seven pounds between Thanksgiving and New Year's. It's nice to know some of us are above average, right? It's a good feeling. I also heard that the two most popular books in a bookstore, they're cookbooks and diet books. So I guess the goal is we want to learn how to make all this wonderful tasting food and then figure out a way not to eat it, right? Now sometimes the season that we're in, the holiday season, can be a little bit like that. We dream about it. We plan for it. We wait for it. We talk about it. But then, when it's here, and we're right in the middle of it, it's pretty stressful. Anybody been stressed out the last couple weeks? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But sometimes it's also the most stressful time of the year. It's a time of the year when, for a lot of people, they kind of stop and realize something's missing. And the thing that's missing isn't something that they can buy at the mall or order on Amazon or wrap up and put under a tree. The thing that they find is really missing is the very thing that we've been talking about and singing about and sending cards about, and that's just the joy that everybody talks about. Where's the joy? This is supposed to be the season of peace and joy, right? But for a lot of people, maybe some of you, you haven't found the peace. You haven't experienced much joy. You know, for the past several weeks, we've talked about the uh, angels that appeared to the shepherds one night and, and uh, the armies of heaven show up and they have a song to sing. And they have a message to share. And the song is, Glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill towards men. Their message was, I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. I bring you good news of great joy. The angel tells the shepherds, tells the people, really tells us I've got news that's going to bring you joy. In fact, it's not going to bring you just joy, it's going to bring you great joy. And it's for everyone. But it seems like a lot of people, maybe too many of us, we're not really embracing that joy. Again, it's a season of joy. We talk about joy. But maybe we find ourselves on the backside of this season of joy and, you know, the gifts have been exchanged and the meals have been prepared and the family has gone home and you're just exhausted (laughs) you plop down on a couch just mentally drained maybe even a little bit cranky and you wonder to yourself did I miss the joy it went by in such a blur did I I miss the joy I don't think joy is a seasonal gift I think it's a year-round blessing This morning is, instead of really looking back on 2019, and and, and really, I guess, instead of really looking forward to to 2020, I want to just stay right here today and talk a little bit about the joy that we all want to experience, but too often we miss. Now, why did we miss it? There's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of reasons why maybe we're not experiencing the joy that, that we always dream about. But this morning, I want to share with you a couple... Perspectives of joy maybe some concepts that, uh, that we, maybe we've missed or need to be reminded of you know a lot of people are convinced that, that I need to look out for joy and what I mean by that is a lot of people consider their happenings to affect their happiness if the right things happen to me then I will be joyful if I get that promotion at work If I were to get a raise If I got an A on the test If the right things happen It'll make me joyful Or for a lot of people Joy depends on the attitude Or the actions of someone else If my husband would just help Around the house I'd be more joyful If my wife would just quit Nagging me about helping Around the house I'd be more joyful You know if the kids Would come home If the kids would leave home all these things that if this would happen in my relationship, I'd be more joyful. If my boss wasn't such a pain, I'd be more joyful. Or, or we look out for joy in our circumstances. You know, if, if my 401k just does a little bit better in 2020, I'm going to be more joyful. If, if that opportunity opens up for me, if the doctor's report comes back like I, I want it to, then I'll be more joyful. The problem with that uh, aspect of joy is it's contingent on things that we really have, for all practical purposes, no control over. I mean, we, we really can't make anyone behave like we want them to. We certainly have no effect on the stock market, you know, my bank account. A poet by the name of Judith Vorst had this same concept, and she wrote a poem, and she wrote it through the lens of an eight-year-old boy. And here's, here's what it says. It's the, the title is, If I Were in Charge of the World. Written as an eight-year-old boy. If I were in charge of the world, I'd cancel oatmeal. Monday mornings, allergy shots, and also Sarah Steinberg. If I were in charge of the world, there'd be brighter nightlights, healthier hamsters, hamsters and basketball hoops 48 inches lower. If I were in charge of the world, you wouldn't have Lonely. You wouldn't have clean. You wouldn't have bedtimes or don't punch your sister. In fact, you wouldn't have sisters. If I were in charge of the world, a chocolate sundae with whipped cream and nuts would be a vegetable. All James Bond movies would be G-rated. And a person who sometimes forgets to brush and sometimes forgets to flush would still be allowed to be in charge of the world. Here's the problem with that. When are you ever going to be allowed to be in charge of the world? Never, right? We can't do those things. So that view of joy, if it's correct, and by the way, that's the view of joy that most people have. Things make me joyful. If that view of joy is correct, then very few people are really going to experience the kind of joy that we all long for. But there's a second view of joy also. You don't look out for joy. You look in for joy. Joy is really nothing more than a decision that you make. I can can will myself to be more joyful. You know, Dale Carnegie made a lot of money, his his business still does, telling people, you can do this. The power is within you. You can change yourself. You can reinvent yourself. In his famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he, he lists six ways to make people like you. Twelve ways to change people's minds. Nine ways to inspire others to follow you. Eight ways to live your life with more joy. Now, I'm sure Dale Carnegie has done a lot of good in a lot of people's lives. But really, if it's just up to me, if it's, if it's contingent on my abilities and my talents, I'm not going to be able to will myself into that kind of a feeling and that kind of a reality. I'm just not. Left to our own devices. We have a a very difficult time accomplishing the kind of things that we really want to accomplish and having the kind of attitude in the life that we really want to have. And the main reason why it's so hard to do, I'm a sinner. And because of that irrefutable fact, the truth is, I'm just, I'm not that capable. And I'm not that forgiving. And I'm not that patient and I'm not that strong, and I'm not that noble, not on my own. If it's up to me, if if I'm looking in, true joy is always going to be an elusive thing. But there's a third view of joy. You don't look in for joy, you don't look out for joy. I think this third view, by the way, is the biblical viewpoint of joy. You look up for joy. True joy is not out there somewhere just waiting to be found, and it's not hidden deep within my psyche, True joy is a gift from God. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 15. May the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. Now, if Romans 15, 13 is true, and I believe that it is, God is the one that fills us with joy, and that joy is available to everyone. And it's available to me all the time, on my best of days and my worst of days. Regardless of what's going on around me, regardless of how other people are treating me, joy isn't out there somewhere waiting to be found. It's not in here somewhere waiting to, to come out. Joy is a gift from God. It's not about me being in the right place at the right time. It's not about me being so smart, so capable. It's about God being so good. That's where joy comes from. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been in a relationship that you had to fight for? And what I I mean by that is, do you have any relationships in your past or your present where you think, you know what, if I hadn't made the effort, that relationship wouldn't have happened? Or maybe it's somebody at work, they're a little bit aloof, a little bit cold, kind of standoffish. They kind of give the vibe that they don't really want anything to do with you. But you, you pursue that person. You, know, you go the extra mile. You, you make an effort to, to make a relationship there. And you make a connection. And you look back and you know, that never would have happened had I not pursued it, if I had not fought for it. Or maybe you can remember a dating situation where you were just sure you and this other person were just meant to be together. She just didn't know it yet. So you give her, her be- your best you know, pickup line. Is there an airport nearby? Or was that my heart taking off? <laughs> and oddly enough, that doesn't seem to impress her. So you try another tactic. You know, you just hang around her. You get to know her a little bit better. You find out where she's going to be so you can just happen to be there at the same time. You find out what she likes so you can talk about the things that she likes. And you pursue her. You go after her. And then 37 years later, come Tuesday, you look back and you say, never would have happened if I hadn't pursued it. That relationship wouldn't have happened if I hadn't made it happen. Listen, I think maybe God feels that way. I think God feels like, you know what, this relationship, it never would have happened if I hadn't made it happen. Here's something that's kind of hard to get your mind wrapped around. God wants a relationship with you much more than you want a relationship with God. I mean, we're in church on a Sunday morning. We all know how much we need God. We all love God. We all want a relationship with God. But we don't want a relationship with God nearly as badly as he wants one with you. Have you ever wanted something so bad, you said, I'll do anything to make that happen. I will give anything to make that happen. I'll pay whatever price I have to pay. I'll go wherever I have to go. I'll be whoever I have to be to make that relationship happen. That's what God did. So, how did he do it? Let me repeat a couple verses that you've heard quite a bit in the last couple weeks. For to us, the child is born. To us, the son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You want more proof? I'll quote another verse to you. I don't even have to put it on the screen. You know it as well as I do. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son... Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How did God prove how badly he wants a relationship with you? How much he wants you to live a life of joy? He sent Jesus into this world. See, real joy isn't because of something that's done to us, real joy is because of what God did for us. We can't control the world, but God can. When Joe Torre was first hired as manager of the New York Yankees back in the late 90s, during spring training of his first year, uh, Phil Rizzuto, the, the, the voice of the Yankees, suggested that he watch some spring training games from the press box. said, you can see the whole field from the press box. Joe Torre said, I don't want to see the whole field. I just want to look into my players' eyes. Understand, we can realize there's a God just by looking around. We can take in the big picture and understand, yeah, there is a divine being behind this beauty, and behind this order. We can understand that God exists just by, just by nature, just by, under, just by looking around us, but we can't really understand how much God loves us until He looked into our eyes, until He became one of us, until He sent His Son. You know, we sing the old song, Why did my Savior come to earth? Why, why did the humble go? Why did He choose a lowly birth? Then that song answers its own question. You know the answer. Because He loved me so. That's why. Because He loved me. The essence of sin is when we try to take God's place. The essence of salvation was God taking our place. You want a reason to have joy? Listen to this. You matter to God. Not mankind, which it does. We do. Not, you know, all believers everywhere you matter to God your wonderful life your messed up life your struggles God cares about that listen again to what Peter has to say in 1st Peter chapter 1 praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, and may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed though you've not seen him you love him and even though you not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy through receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls Peter wrote that Apostle Paul, in the last book that he wrote, the second letter to his dear friend Timothy, Paul's before Nero, it's towards the end of his life, he's about to be sentenced to death, and here's what he tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one was with me. Everyone had abandoned me. I hope it will not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. The Lord stood with me and gave me strength what did Paul mean when he said the Lord stood with me and gave me strength I don't know a lot of smart people have kind of uh, suggested what God might have done to give him strength maybe it was a vision maybe it was an answer to a prayer maybe it was just a quiet assurance of faith I don't know but what I do know is the message that Paul wants Timothy to understand is when I was all alone I knew I wasn't all alone When no one else was with me, I knew someone else was with me. The Lord stood with me. Fear is saying, I don't know what's coming. Joy is saying, I know who came. And I know who's coming back. And I know who's here right now, standing with me. Our joy doesn't come from what other people do. Our joy came from what God did and what God continues to do. He sent His Son, born in Bethlehem, He grew up in Nazareth, He died in Jerusalem, and He reigns in heaven. God's joy is all around us. If we would just prepare our hearts and kind of open our minds to the wonder of God and the joy of God that's all around us, let me close with one of my favorite stories. Um, you've probably heard it before, a pretty well-known incident. You might have heard me tell it a decade or so ago. It's about a social experiment uh, conducted by the Washington Post uh, newspaper uh, involved a violinist by the name of Joshua Bell. If you know anything about classical music, you'll recognize that name. Joshua Bell is a renowned violinist, plays over 200 international bookings, the sold-out uh, audiences all over the world but in January of 2006 the Washington Post asked this world-renowned musician to take part in a social experiment they asked him to put on a pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt then a ball cap take his violin to a subway station in Washington DC and stand there in the subway station and play kind of an experiment involving perception and context Three days before this experiment, by the way, Joshua Bell had played a sold-out concert uh, with the Boston Symphony. But on this particular Monday morning, he's there in a Washington D.C. subway. He opens up his violin case and leaves it on the floor in front of him for people to throw bills in. He takes out a three and one-half million-dollar Stradivarius violin, and he begins to play there in the subway. He played six songs in about forty. Minutes, Six of the most beautiful, most difficult songs ever written for the violin. In fact, a few of those songs, there's only a handful of musicians in the world that can play them as written. And he stood there for 40 minutes playing the violin in the subway station. This massive humanity went by him. You can look up it on YouTube. Google Joshua Bell Subway. There's a clip of it. Don't do it right now. But... Um, <laughs> This massive humanity goes by him. Over a thousand people walked by him. No one other than seven people, seven people stopped to listen just for a moment. Of those seven people who stopped to listen just for a moment, only one person recognized him. That lady standing right there uh, in front of him. She was the only person that recognized him. She listened to the last two songs that he played. And when he was finished, she said, You're Joshua Bell. I saw you at the Library of Congress. You're fantastic. And she dropped a $20 bill into his uh, violin case, which brought his morning's earnings to just under $34. Three days earlier, he played those exact same songs, but he was paid over $1,000 a minute to do it. When it was all over the Washington Post interviewed Joshua Bell and he said it was such a strange situation it was such a surreal moment I was playing there in the subway system and nobody listened nobody cared he said I played one particular song that I have never in my life played where I had not received a standing ovation when the song was over every time I've ever played that song people stood and applauded I I played that song no one stood no one clapped, no one smiled. No one noticed. It was so weird. The one woman who recognized him, was interviewed by the post as she left. she made this comment. "It' the most astonishing thing I'd ever seen. Joshua Bell was playing his violin for nearly an hour in rush-hour traffic, and no one noticed. They didn't even look. They were in the presence of greatness but they never recognized it. They were in the presence of greatness, but they never recognized it. This morning, I'm not going to ask you to try to be more joyful. I'm not going to challenge you to try to find joy in your life. (laughs) But here's what I am going to challenge you to do. Pay attention to the soundtrack that's playing all around you. Slow down, stop, and pay attention to all the beautiful wonder that God's placed in your life every moment of every day. We are surrounded by greatness. We are surrounded by beauty. We are flooded with peace. We are buried in circumstances that ought to bring us great joy. But we're so busy trying to get to the next place and the next thing, we completely miss it so many times. You are in the presence of greatness. In fact, you're in the presence of great love. It is all around us. That ought to bring us great joy. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Someone put it this way. I have a God who hears me. The power of love behind me the Holy Spirit within me and all of heaven before me. I have everything I need. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let's stand and sing.